0: katherine zox your social worker with a microphone and you're listening to the katherine zox show joining me today is new york times best-selling author forensic anthropologist and bones tv producer kathy reichs phd Uh, Her new book is A Conspiracy of Bones. That's the title of her new book. When a faceless corpse turns up on the banks of a North Carolina river, forensic anthropologist Temperance Brennan must call on all of her expertise to unravel a mystery that leads her into a dark web of conspiracy theories and cold cases. Marketing... Marking the long-awaited return to the series that inspired the hit TV show Bones, New York Times bestselling author Kathy Reich's riveting new novel delivers all the twists and turns we've come to expect from the master of suspense alongside a ripped from the headlines plot that will thrill readers from the very first page. She's one of very few forensics anthropologists ever certified by the American Board of Forensic Anthropology. Uh, Currently on leave, she is a professor in the Department of Anthropology at the University of North Carolina, Charlotte. Welcome to the show, Kathy. Thank you for having me. Well, these are Challenging times to be on the show, so we're really glad to have you here. (laughs) Thank you. Indeed, they are. (laughs) Indeed, they are. And I guess, you know, my first question, I had just read an article in the New York Times. It was a couple days on the 27th of March. And it was talking about releasing new books. Maybe you read it. Uh, And in this time of COVID-19, which is a very different time, obviously, and a challenging time To release a new book or decide to release a new book, because I'm assuming you can't go uh, and do book tours and go to bookstores and sign, you know, and book signings and that kind of uh, promoting, I guess, of the book.
1: Exactly, and my whole tour was canceled. I was really looking forward to it. I was. Giving a public talk at the Smithsonian and a number of uh, public libraries around the country, and of course, bookstore signings, and that's the fun part—you get to read. I mean, meet your readers, and then um, that was all canceled. So I'm doing as much as I can um, on air, on cyber by cyber uh, connection. I did some virtual book tour signing at a small bookstore in in uh, Arizona, and. Um, Facebook Live and, you know, whatever you can to to try to connect with readers.
0: Are more people able to buy the book online? Can sales – tell me about the business. Like, what happens? Like, let's say they – Yeah. They can still buy
1: it at any of the online outlets um, Barnes and Noble or Amazon or any of the bookstores that provide online sales service also I've been told that a lot of independent bookstores and we always want to support the Indies um, will actually drive it to you they will some of them will mail it to you if you buy it through them and some of them will actually drive it to your home and deliver it to you
0: Wow that's yeah sort of like instacart with. Books, I guess. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah, that's yes. what it sounds like. I, I yes. think those. Are, yeah, those are the kinds of interesting because it, all these new kinds of businesses, as you like you just mentioned, are starting to pop up. I mean, that are you know, from Instacart to what you described, d- delivering books at home. So, what else have you learned from some? You know, you've, you've spoken to some of your uh, online. You've had connections with people. What have they had? What do they say? What do they say to you? any kinds of uh, uh, I guess, insights that you have from your readers? Well, they're curious about
1: the same things they always are, whether they're asking me the questions in person or asking me the questions online. You know, they want to know um, things about the current book. Um, they also want to know about uh, the TV show Bones. They always have questions or comments about that. And they always have questions about me and my personal well my my professional life more so than my personal life so it's you know it's the usual questions the things that people are curious about
0: how do you feel you know you're doing all of this online the the isolation uh, i think that's one of the things that i see people no matter what business they're in and the changes they have to make experiencing the isolation not being able to connect person to person but having yeah uh, he-
1: Yeah, I'm doing, you know, in terms of personal life, I have six grandkids, so almost every day, two, two, and two with my three children, so almost every day I do get on um, Facebook, no, not Facebook, Um,
0: FaceTime,
1: FaceTime, FaceTime, yeah, and we talk to each other, and we see each other, but it's, Again, it's not the same as, as being with them. Also, I have close uh, girlfriends, uh, a group in Charlotte. There's a group in Montreal. There's a group of forensic women that were very close friends. So we've all organized um, through Zoom uh, virtual uh, cocktail parties, or one's a birthday party. One is a let's have a glass of wine party. So we're doing our best staying together. I took a walk the other day with my Nate two or three of my neighbors and our dogs and, you know, we all stayed like 10 feet apart from each other, but we, we sort of had a walk together.
0: Yeah. Well, similar kinds of experiences. I've had similar kinds of experiences too. I think a lot of, and I'm saying, the baby boomers have a lot of cocktail parties online. I've done that too. <laughs> yes, <we> do <laughs> <seem> to
1: <laughs> yeah, I just read a funny thing and there's so many funny things going around, some funnier than others, but yeah. about you know, 20 years from now, it'll be a generation raised by homeschooling of in home drinkers. <laughs> <So>. <laughs>
0: I like that. That's true. Uh, 20 years from now. I hope I'm still here. Uh, Well, you're seeing your grandchildren. You're on FaceTime. Uh, My grandchildren and my son and daughter-in-law came up from the cities three weeks ago, and so did we, my partner, he and I. But I am letting – they're staying at my house, and I'm staying at his house because – you know we're not quite sure little kids can you know they have the colds and they have the coughs they, but, uh, <laughs> Yes, they know like little so, petri dishes yes that's right they're like so we go over there it's it's a sort of like a sci-fi movie stand in front of the window and the glass door and look yeah. in and it and, and uh with my four-year-old grandson, um, who is riding his bicycle in the living room, screaming, we, we escaped New York City, we escaped COVID-19. This is a four-year-old. Oh.
1: <laughs> my, my neighborhood, we just did a thing. We put stuffed animals in, our, in a window, and then the kids in the neighborhood walked around, they did a jungle hunt or a bear hunt or something to see how many stuffed bears they could spot. So it's parents a- are being very creative.
0: Yeah, you have to be very creative. Some schools, I think, are uh, adapting better than others. I'm finding in people that I speak to on on the radio, uh, as well as not in person, but friends. Um, you know, for the online learning, some are kind of set up for that, which is good, and others not so much. It's but right. Uh, yeah, right. So let's talk about your book because um, okay, all right. <laughs> That's a good so idea. Uh, yeah, uh, because I guess the heroine in the book had a lot of uh, a lot to overcome, right? Recovering from neurosurgery, following an aneurysm, having to solve all of these problems and issues. So I assume that some of that, where does that come from? Like the, um, I guess you know, if, uh, your creativity, the imagination. Where did it all you know this particular book? Um,
1: well, yeah. Um, As usual, it comes from personal experience, and it comes from professional experience. I usually draw on um, a case that I've worked on for something in the plot. I start with the case, just a core idea, just a nugget. And then in this one, for example, um, one of the things, at the beginning of the story, she receives a text with images, and those images show a faceless corpse. Turns out this unidentified corpse has no face, no teeth, no hands, so you can't ID him visually or with dental records or with fingerprints. So it's a classic forensic anthropology case. Um, yet the new, there's a new boss in town, there's a new medical examiner, um, and that person will not ask Tempe for her help. She will not ask for Tempe's expertise. So Tempe in this book is having to work outside the system. She's been banned from the ME office. So she is working under very different circumstances. She's having to rely on her own resources and kind of go rogue, um, her own network of colleagues and her own resources in this story.
0: Forensic anthropology has become very popular, hasn't it? I mean, I know they seem to be adding more courses at schools, uh, undergraduate, uh, and, and also on TV programs. I, I watch those all the time. I love them. Um, so you, <laughs> why? You, just, <laughs> you <laughs> yeah, said
1: why
0: you don't, don't we know?
1: suddenly became, we worked in our labs for years and nobody paid any attention to us. Nobody had ever heard of us. And now all of a sudden... All of the, not just anthropology, but I think all of the forensic sciences are hot. And that began, I don't know, somewhere in the 90s, I think, right about the time I was writing the first book. And um, you're right, uh, colleagues tell me there has been a massive uh, surge of interest among students wanting to study forensic anthropology. Universities have added whole programs that they didn't have before. So um, maybe. Our show, Bones, contributed a bit to that. Maybe the books contributed. I think today people do know what forensic anthropology is.
0: Yeah, I think it's interesting. Yeah, the books, as you say, the bones, and also maybe it also has become, I would assume, very interesting with all the you know DNA testing, all the you know all the new kinds of ways to figure out uh, who did what when. It wouldn't you know it would make it more. I don't want to say less academic, but it, it's kind of intriguing. Well,
1: I think people are very intrigued. I think that's why they like my books. They like to learn a bit about forensic science, but they don't want to read a textbook. So um, what I write are good old-fashioned thrillers, murder mysteries. The difference is that the solution is driven by science and not just by um, legwork, by a cop or a or a PI. And I put a different science into each book. Um, You don't want to just read about bones after bones after bones. So, And I'm lucky because having worked for decades in a combined crime and medical legal lab, I have all my network of colleagues that if I have a question about blood spatter pattern analysis or bite mark analysis or whatever, you know, I can just walk across the hall and, and ask them. So... I feel committed to having, as we did when writing episodes of the show of having the uh, the science honest um, but I think the key in writing fiction is you have to keep the science honest, it has to be accurate, but it has to be brief and entertaining, and you have to you can't rely on terminology on specialized jargon that we use amongst ourselves as scientists or academics, so I think that's one of the things that um Academics or scientists who write fiction, that's the mistake they often make, is they love their field, and yet they put way too much of it into the story.
0: Yeah, that's, I, a, very, that's a good point. Yeah, and I think even sometimes... Go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say sometimes uh, some of the maybe sometimes guests on the show, uh, you know, scientists, et cetera, will... You have to kind of pull them away from, like, they're talking about a, a scientific topic, but you need to connect to your audience or just, the, you know, uh, not you're not talking to scientists, as you're saying, but even so, you have to make it interesting and engaging. So you, you said, like, your book has a lot to do also with your own experiences. So tell us about, you know, how you started, you know, how you got interested in forensic anthropology uh, way back.
1: Well, I wrote a short story um, called uh, First Bones. And it's an origin story for Temperance Brennan. It appeared in um, a collection of short stories. They're novellas, actually. I'm not very good at short. <laughs> but, um, and it explains how she was, she was uh, in her lab one day, and a couple of cops came by, and they had a, a case for her because they had heard that she's the bones lady at the university, and they needed this skeleton identified. Well, that's Tempe's origin story. <clears throat> Excuse me, and that's my origin story as well. I had trained to do archaeology, bioarchaeology, to analyze ancient remains recovered from an archaeological site. Uh, but because I was the bones lady, the police started bringing me cases, and that's how I made the shift from archaeology to to forensics. And once I started doing that, <clears throat> working on modern coroner and medical examiner cases. I just found that so compelling because the relevance of it, I like the relevance of it. You were actually impacting someone's life when you told them, when you identified a missing family member or when you testify in court. And while archaeology is fascinating, you're, you're probably not going to impact someone's life. So I retrained and I sat for my board certification and I've been doing forensics ever since.
0: It's the modern Nancy Drew. All those Nancy Drew books we used to read.
1: I did used to read those. <laughs> I the did Secret too. The old clock, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, except again, the difference is the solution is science driven. So.
0: What is the uh, court experience like when those uh, attorneys are, you're the expert, but they're going after you, I assume? Um, <laughs>
1: well, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm fine testifying. It's not. My favorite thing to do, testifying as an expert witness. But I find that if you are um, prepared, completely prepared, and you don't overstep the bounds of your own expertise, uh, you're okay. And, of course, the counsel, I've almost always testified um, for the prosecution, but a, uh, I have had a few cases for the defense. So you're, you're, you're examined um, by counsel for whom... They brought you in as their expert, and then what's a little unsettling is when they finish and they turn you over to opposing counsel, and you know they are going to try to tear apart what you said.
0: Can you tell us about any uh, one of the uh, one or two or more of some of those cases? You know, obviously the interesting ones that stand out are the most difficult uh, ones, maybe that you had yeah, to testify. Of
1: uh, cases that I've testified, or just in general. Because uh, every case to, doesn't go to court.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, whichever, but I was just thinking actually of the ones that do go to court and where you did have to testify.
1: Well, there have been some interesting ones. Um, the one time often, I, I, one question I get frequently is, you know, Tempe is always being threatened and someone's always hitting her over the head or throwing her over a cliff. Do you experience any personal danger? And in general, no, I do not. Um However, I was testifying in one trial, and uh, they, hello, are you still there?
0: I'm still there. There was a, yeah, we, yeah.
1: That was a strange sound. Anyway, yeah. they, they stopped the trial, and they said, go sit upstairs, and I assumed that the um, opposing counsel was raising some objection. Uh, it turned out that the defendant uh, had threatened to kill me, so, so they said, well, if he comes at you, don't get out of the witness chair. Just stay put. They couldn't bring police in because that would be um, that would be compromising for the for the defendant. So I figured what I was going to do if he came at me, I was just going to dive behind the judge. <laughs> but anyway, he he did not, and and we wrapped up the trial. But that's one I do remember.
0: That's terrifying. Yeah, but at least you had <laughs> your plan of action hiding behind the judge. You have yes, to. Yes, exactly. You have I figured to figure yeah, whatever
1: yeah. he's doing, I'm doing.
0: So. That's funny. So uh, now, okay, let's get back to uh, the book because now are you going to, once this book gets out, I mean, I think what's happening to us now is going to go on for a long, long time in terms of not being able to get out, to go where we want to go, to conduct business as usual. Do you have a plan for that?
1: Well, I'm one of the upsides of uh, this is I'm you know trapped in my home, so I'm getting a lot of writing done. So, right now, I am working on number 20 in the Temperance Brennan series. So, um, hopefully, by the time that one comes out, a year from now, hopefully, I will be able to tour and, and meet my readers. I'm looking forward to that.
0: You're isolated in your house. With whom, can I ask? Are you by yourself, or do you have support, I guess? Yeah, Yeah, my husband
1: is here, and my, I have two cats and a dog.
0: So they have to be taken care of. Yeah. (laughs)
1: Yeah. We talk to each other and we alternate taking the dog uh, for walks. And so we're good.
0: Yeah. You have to establish a a plan, I think. And each plan is different for each family or for each couple, uh, I think we found that we don't have to, even though we're together we're in the same place, we don't have to eat every single meal together. It's okay if you have breakfast alone and, or you have lunch alone, but then you eat dinner together. That sort of worked for us. Uh, yeah, that's what like we all, do. Yeah. All of us. They're
1: all yeah. there. The two cats sit. Well, they're allowed to sit on the bench as long as they keep four paws on the bench we have a table with chairs on one side and a bench on the other. So they join us at dinner and the dog of course is sitting there as well. So yeah, it's dinner for five every
0: night. Dinner for five every night. Um, Your books are great because there's, you know, they're, they're, I think, especially in this time, because people don't want to be constantly reading about what's happening or hearing all, always hearing about the coronavirus. You want to be able to get into something that's, it's fun. That's As you say, there's science in it, but it also, it's something you can connect to and kind of get out of, I, I would say, get out of having to be bombarded with all of this uh, negative news. <laughs> um, yeah,
1: although the book does have a theme, which is rather yeah. timely. And yeah. the theme is, um, since we are bombarded, as you say, daily with all kinds of information, and disinformation and misinformation. How does the average viewer or listener or internet user or podcast user, how do you sort through what's real and what's not? Because anybody can get out there and say anything. So how does the average person figure out, um, you know, what are, what are alternative facts and um, what is fake news and what is real? So that theme kind of runs um, through this book and She learns about the faceless corpse and decides she's going to help get the faceless corpse identified. The idea for the corpse came to me from a case I worked on of a, a journalist who was murdered, and her body was thrown in the woods, and when it was found, it had been badly scavenged by bears. Well, that's the kind of nugget I use. And so for this story, the body has been scavenged by feral hogs, which we have here in North Carolina. And as Tempe finds more and more clues about this faceless corpse, um, it suggests that maybe there's something very sinister about him. She finds that he may be tied to um, biological weapons, and he may be tied to the sinking of the Estonia, the ferry that sank uh, crossing the Baltic uh, back in the 90s. So she has to sort through all of that and figure out uh, what's real and what's not real.
0: So you're saying that whole process really fits into what we're going to have, what we need to be doing every day, just as as citizens with all this information we get to figure we do. out. And
1: it's not just it's not just wackadoos who, you know, set up a podcast and start broadcasting nonsense. It's also people in authority sometimes that are putting out disinformation. So how do we know what to believe and what not to believe? What's real and, and what's not real?
0: And how do you do it on a daily basis? As you say, it can be people in authority, it can be politicians, uh, it can be people, yeah, just, you know, your average well, podcast. You
1: yeah, you just always have to have your, your filter on and not just accept it's on television or it's on radio or it's on the Internet, so it must be true. Uh, that's not true. <laughs> and you can't just pick your own reality. You can't just pick what you're going to listen to and decide that. That is reality out there. You've got to evaluate. Um, you know, one of the things you learn in university and in grad school, you as you read, you have to be a critical reader and a critical evaluator.
0: Are, are you still connected? I guess you're on leave from from teaching. At uh, are you still connected to your students? And what do they have to say? If you are, yeah,
1: yeah, well, I, I am connected to them more through their. Um, I hear from them more. Uh, in connection with reading the books, the Temperance Brennan books, or viewing Bones. Um, Not so much through the university. I am still on faculty, but I'm on leave, um, so I do not go to campus regularly anymore.
0: Yeah, uh, because I was wondering, because the students may, you know, they have different kinds of reactions, or then different groups have different reactions to all of this, so I'm always curious as to uh, students and the young people, and uh, they are... I think, not as fearful as older people and maybe have more difficulty with physical isolation and those kinds of things. I wondered if you've gotten any feedback on that. Not so much. I get, as I said, I get
1: feedback on the books. Um, I don't think what, it matters what age you are. People like to read murder mysteries. And I think the fun of it, first of all, they learn a bit about the science behind it, and each book has a different type of forensic science. But they also, the fun of trying to figure out the puzzle because as a as an author you try to put the clues in there and they have to make sense and you can't rely on coincidence so as a reader you try to work through that and figure out who the villain is before the end of the book before the author tells you and if i when i'm reading if i do figure it out i'm a little disappointed in the author because i like um i like the twist at the end i like to be surprised
0: that's so true if you can figure it out in the first 2 chapters then that's not necessary. That's not good, right? You want to be surprised till, yeah.
1: Yeah, I want to be surprised right at the end. I don't even want to be able to figure it out at the middle or two thirds of the way book. I want to constantly be thinking, oh, and then when they do tell me, it has to make sense. You have to go, that's right. I remember that clue, or I totally missed that as a reader. And yes, that makes sense. I see that. that that's what the villain did and why he did it. One of the things about murder, unlike kidnapping or robbery. In writing about murder, that's the only crime that needs to be explained. Why did this person commit the murder? So oh. it's all got to come together at the end.
0: Well, these are exciting. These are the best books to be reading right now. We can—we all have time to read the whole series, everything you've written. <laughs> um, <laughs> there you go. And it's also right. the
1: young adult series as well. Um, my son and I wrote a young adult series called Virals, which features temperance brennan's 14 year old great niece so um, they're written for middle school through a young adult but a lot of adults are reading those as well
0: well that's great because I know a lot of people who uh, reading you know, who have teenagers and young people who really need something to do and and read virals so, that, so they go online and what you can uh, can you yeah, download it's virals yeah.
1: um, you could just google virals or you could go to a, a, a bookseller burns and noble or um, Amazon and look for virals. The other thing about virals, they're they're big honking books. Uh, Young adult books are just as complicated as adult books. Uh, Temperance Brennan's niece, Tori, and her friends use science at kind of a middle school, high school level to solve cold cases. Uh, But one of the things about virals is in the first book, and I won't go into, into a complicated explanation, but they encounter a virus and this virus has quite an impact on them. So they will learn about viruses. And this is a somewhat more benevolent virus than COVID-19. But it's a way for them to also learn about, learn about viruses and how viruses can
0: impact people and dogs. So huh. That's true. That's great. I'm glad we mentioned that one because we have a couple minutes left. So any other websites that you want us to go to? Um, Kathy Reichs, A Conspiracy of Bones is her new book, New York Times bestselling author, and she's a forensic anthropologist. Uh, yeah. If there's any place else we should be going well, for more info.
1: Yeah. There's com. K-A-T-H-Y-R-E-I-C-H-S. And then I'm on Twitter. It's at Kathy Reichs. I'm on Instagram and I'm on Facebook, so they can find me in lots of different places, or just Google Kathy Reichs. I should come up.
0: And I, yeah, great, great talking to you today. Thanks so much. Thank you. Stay safe and stay sane. Stay healthy. Stay <laughs> and <home>. stay healthy. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to the Catherine Zox Show.